Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hello, my name is David Hilgen, and today we're going to talk about resilient infrastructure. It actually makes for a very interesting topic if you care about the future of the United States and in particular business and industry in the U.S. Our guest today on this Future of Risk podcast recently testified at a congressional subcommittee hearing on the topic. The title of the hearing was Building Smarter, the Benefits of Investing in Resilience and Mitigation. Ben Harper is head of corporate sustainability for Zurich North America. Ben has more than 30 years of sustainability and insurance experience and has been with Zurich for nearly 20 years. In his prior roles at Zurich, he was the global environmental subject matter expert in technical underwriting. And as head of the pollution team was responsible for providing technical policy strategy and underwriting guidance in support of environmental coverages. He also served as part of the Zurich Group Climate Office from 2009 to 2013, where his team developed products to address concerns ranging from renewable energy sources and carbon emissions to geologic sequestration. He earned a bachelor's degree in civil and environmental engineering from Southern Polytechnic State University in Georgia, where he lives. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me today. Okay, Ben, what is resilient infrastructure and why should we care about it? Resilience is the practice of designing things to endure shock. That shock could be physical, it could be social, it could be economic shocks and stresses. And as we all know, infrastructure is some of the core physical assets that uh, that we depend on daily in our lives um, to, to simply be able to operate in the way we do. We're talking about roadways, bridges, data centers, schools, airports. Those are all part of our infrastructure. It's the physical pieces of the world around us that help us connect. And so resiliency with the practice of designing things to endure shock is super important when you're when you're talking about resilience, particularly given today the uncertainty that we're seeing around physical risk associated with climate change. We're seeing a, a, a huge increase in the frequency and severity of storms and the unpredictable nature of some of these things. You can see we're building resilience into some of these structures is as important today as it's ever been. We want to make sure that whatever we're designing for today, whatever we're building for today, can withstand those shocks and stresses that are being presented with the uncertainties around us. Um, and that when we do build these structures uh, in these facilities, that they're built to a standard to uh, endure the long haul. Um, and I think the importance of it, you can see the importance of building something now that will stand the test of time. Um, but even more so, we're at this critical point where so much of the infrastructure around us is either focused around new technology, um, you know, think fiber optics and the internet, as well as around some of the traditional infrastructure components that date back a lot of it to post-World War II, where we constructed a lot of the highways and a lot of the bridges and a lot of the levees and a lot of the tunnels. All that stuff has reached its end of useful life. And in fact, in most instances, it's gone well beyond its useful life. We, we just expanded as a society so much, we don't have time to take out the service of a bridge and build a new one. We simply continue to put Band-Aids on the infrastructure that we've got. And we're at that point now where 
between capacity issues and the simple fact that we have to go to replacement, the band-aids don't work anymore, we have to build new. And if we're gonna build new today, we need to make sure that we integrate resilience into the design and construction of those components. It sounds like uh, infrastructure is a much broader topic than most people even know. You opened your testimony in April by telling members of Congress that, uh, and I quote, uh, climate change is perhaps the most complex risk facing society today. It is intergenerational, it is international, and it is interdependent. What did you mean by that? Well, climate change impacts so much of what we do. Uh, If you look at the reach of it and you look at some of the risks that I would say is an off-spin of climate, but it's very, very much impacted, you can see the correlation. For instance, climate change in one area may cause a severe water shortage when you look at California. And with that water shortage, we've got some issues around utilities being able to generate the power that they need to to generate. We have issues around the the dryness in in wildfire. So you can see how all these risks are interconnected. If, If you look beyond the U.S., Unfortunately, climate change impacts a lot of the most vulnerable pe- people in the world more so than the rest of us. And, and these people are, are ones that have a very difficult time preparing themselves ep- economically for some of these changes. So if you have a drought in certain areas of the world or if you have a flood, it can lead to food scarcity and that can lead to disease and famine. And that leads to people migrating into places that they previously weren't. So you can see the interconnected nature of all this. And we know there is there is evidence to prove that uh, that the climate is changing, and that's what's having such a great impact on some of these risk factors. And climate doesn't know any boundaries. It's occurring uh, everywhere, every day. We've seen this really meteoric rise in the average temperature of the Earth for quite some time now, and we're starting to see the effects. And we know that that's only going to accelerate. So this is definitely one of the largest, if not the largest issue that we're facing today as a total society. And because of that, we need to tackle it on a global basis. Some would uh, even argue that uh, climate change is leading to a a higher risk of pandemics. And that's a word I'm getting a little tired of hearing. (laughs) Definitely, Um, you and me both. um, There always seems to be some reluctance to investing in new ideas, especially from government. How do you justify the need to invest in infrastructure and in particular resilient infrastructure, which may come with additional cost? Well, you know, first off, when it comes to additional costs, uh, we're generally seeing things in a range of three to 7% of total project costs. And that's capital expenditures, that's your CapEx costs. Generally, a resilient structure is cheaper to operate. We need to start looking at the total life cycle cost of a facility, not just the capital expenditure up front, but what's the operating cost as well. So when you look at the CapEx and the OpEx together, you can see that over the life of that facility or that structure, you, you will actually be saving money as a result of uh, a, the resiliency that's built into it. And that's not accounting for the fact that you're simply going to be able to withstand hardships to a much greater extent than you will in a non-resilient structure. So while there may be some additional expenditures up front, I can almost promise you that in, in most every situation, you're going to find out that the total operating cost of these, that initial investment or the total operating cost of that facility or that structure is going to be well below uh, what it would be if you built to a non-resilient standard and operated it in more conventional ways. Excellent. 
You touched on this earlier, but I want to get back to it about the interconnection of risk. You gave a few examples. I know that there are others like how climate change can contribute to loss of biodiversity in one part of the world and political unrest in another part of the world. Can you talk a little bit more about infrastructure failure can impact other risks, like in perhaps even giving like a scenario of, of some sort? Sure. I think you mentioned uh, in your testimony a casino scenario. I'd love to, love to hear that again. Yeah, so, so this is an actual case. Our, there was a casino that was built prior to Hurricane Katrina, and it was built to the latest and greatest standards and resiliency. And part of that was even citing it in a way that will minimize impact from, from a storm surge as it's right in the Mississippi coastline. As we all know, Sandy had some devastating effects, and it definitely impacted the area where this casino sits as well. But just as what the engineers had planned for, this particular structure withstood the effects far greater than anything around it. And that was fantastic for our insureds. And they could actually be up and running within two weeks post-Katrina. They could do enough of the cleanup. And their facility was in such good shape that they could continue to operate uh, in the way that they were before uh, the, the storm hit. Unfortunately, they had no roadway to get there. Uh, the roadway was totally cut off. Uh, they also didn't have the water supply necessary to service all the people that would be staying at this hotel. So while they built a resilient building and it did what it was supposed to do, the fact that some of these interconnected pieces, and in this case it was transportation and utilities, when they failed, it uh, didn't really help the fact that, that the structure itself was built to a resilient standard. Interesting. So why now? Why is it critical now to address the need for better and more resilient infrastructure? Is it uh, in part because the current administration has proposed a massive infrastructure bill? I think we definitely need to take advantage of that, for sure. And first off, we have to look and say, why now? Well, why now? Let's look at the past 30 years meteorological history. We've seen the largest storms that have been recorded on record most of them have occurred in the last 30 years. We're seeing increases in the intensity and frequency of these events every single year. So clearly, now is the time to make that investment because we have to. We simply have to. And the fact that there is a bill being proposed with the current administration that's going to revamp and touch so many pieces of our infrastructure, I mean, now is the time. If we're looking at spending 2 to $4 trillion on infrastructure, we really need to get it right. Uh, we need to make sure that that money is not wasted. We need to make sure that it's spent properly and it, that we plan for uh, the future of unknowns. And, and so, yes, David, you hit the nail on the head. Is it critical now because we have uh, potential funding behind it? Absolutely. This is a very, very large bill that will impact so many components of the infrastructure. Now is definitely the time. Ben, it's clear that you're very passionate about this topic. Is there anything I haven't asked about that you'd like to discuss? Well, I, I think with infrastructure, the biggest thing is, and I stressed this earlier, is that we spend money now, we're going to save money in the future. I mean, Zurich has done some of our own studies and seen that pre-event mitigation or pre-event resiliency planning saves usually uh, on a ratio of uh, one to four. So every dollar you spend up front in resiliency, uh, you will make $4 back in post-event response. And that's significant because at the end of the day, you know, 
Our job as an insurer is to make somebody whole, and we're there to absorb that economic loss. But at the same time, we also understand that uh, to a greater extent, our job as, uh, as a risk transfer mechanism is to make sure we can help bring things back to normalcy as soon as we can. So investing in infrastructure is so important right now because it will lessen the impact if something does happen, and at the same time, speed the time to recovery. And so if we can lessen the impact and speed the recovery time so that people can get back to normal, it's better for all. Excellent. Ben, I want to thank you for joining us on this Future of Risk podcast. Uh, But before I let you go, I want to end with what we call the lightning round of questions with an emphasis on light. They're meant to be (laughs) lighthearted. So Ben, if you're ready or not, here goes. I'm ready. You're in Georgia. For those of us not too familiar with the Peach State, do locals call it that, by the way? What's the best thing about living there? You still hear the Peach State from time to time, and clearly every street in Atlanta has got the word Peach in it, so it's a constant reminder. It's a fantastic, wonderful community. It's vibrant. It's diverse. It can be rather warm in in the winters, but we also have those 72-degree November days that help make up for it. So I couldn't recommend it any higher. Uh, The economy has done really, really well. Um, It is the capital of the South, and I'm very proud of, of living in the city or living in this city and being part of this community, we welcome all visitors as well. Excellent. A part of business is taking calculated risks. What's the biggest professional risk you took that worked out? I think my biggest professional risk was getting into insurance. Um, My background, I'm a civil engineer and I decided to become a civil engineer because I never wanted to sit behind a desk or be stuck inside. I wanted to be outside. Clearly, uh, I might have failed a little bit in that regard, um, although I did get to practice as an environmental engineer for quite some time. Um, But it was a huge risk because it was an unknown. But I also looked at it and said, you know, uh, I had no idea that insurance dealt with some of these same fundamental issues that I deal with as an engineer. And it's really, really interesting to be able to influence uh, and find solutions for some of the same problems I was seeing in the environmental space from the top down, more from uh, a financial and policy perspective. I also sort of fell into, I don't know that you fell into insurance, but I certainly didn't. <laughs> uh, I didn't study insurance, although my father worked in insurance. Um, so didn't exactly follow in his footsteps. But I'm still scratching my head as well, David, but, uh, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. They say uh, sports can prepare you for life and business. What sport did you play growing up and what lessons did it teach you? Well, you know, like many Americans, I played multiple sports um, throughout my life. But as I got older, I actually played a high level of rugby. Uh, I'll give a shout out to the Atlanta Renegades, still going strong. I guess you could say a successful rugby run. Unfortunately, I had an injury derail me uh, for a bit and uh, kind of had to give it up at least the highest levels. But I can tell you one thing I found out is there's ever a sport that's dependent upon teamwork and being able to trust others and their abilities to perform. That's it. You've got two 40-minute halves uh, where there are no timeouts and and the action doesn't play and everybody's got specific tasks and you absolutely have the trust and faith in your teammates there that uh, they will deliver when needed.
That is a tough sport. I'm going to stick with tennis. It's non relatively non-contact. <laughs> My body thinks that that's probably what I should have done years ago as well, David. Yeah. Uh, if you couldn't do your current job, what profession would you choose? Gosh, you know, growing up, my father was a fighter pilot. I always said that if I could really just choose to do something else, I would probably love to be in the cockpit of a fighter. Um, I, I didn't choose that path, and I think partially was because, you know, my father convinced me that I really wasn't good at taking orders and that there was a lot of that in the military. But I'd have to say, uh, clearly, behind playing professional sports in either the NFL or the MLB, if either of them want to call me, I'd have to say I'd, I'd love to be in, in uh, an F-15 or an F-22 Raptor today. Wow, that's cool. Okay, last one. You win the lottery tonight. What do you do tomorrow? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting one. I think so many of us think about what am I doing tomorrow? I will say that uh, I would go out and I wouldn't say waste it, but some people would say you would. I would waste a little bit of it. Um, I did an opportunity for a while after my rugby days to race sports cars. So I am a sucker for for a fast vehicle. And I know being head of sustainability, that may not be the best thing, although there's some great electric variants coming out. Um, I'd have to say I would probably go uh, shopping for my midlife crisis car for sure. Excellent. Ben, uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, David. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I'm really excited looking forward in the state of resiliency, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get a lot done this year. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hilgen. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.